Hey, Yins guys, this is the Jay from the What's Real podcast for our official sponsor of the What's Real Summer Vacation Specials Parts 1 and 2, Churchill Pictures. Churchill Pictures is a Pittsburgh-based film production company founded by Damiano Fusca and Jared Bajoris. Check out churchillpictures.com for all kinds of information about the company and their work. The website contains dozens of videos, including short films, movie previews, comedy sketches, the entire documentary UCW, The Greatest Show You Never Saw, exclusive independent pro wrestling matches, links to view or purchase their two feature films, Deference and The Unsung, the entire history of the What's Real podcast, the Film City podcast, and so much more. Check out churchillpictures.com today and also check out the official Churchill Pictures YouTube channel. Search for Churchill Pictures and please subscribe. Also follow Churchill Pictures on all social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Churchill Pictures. Picture the possibilities. It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's real? Hello, everybody. It is once again that time for summer vacation. And here at the What's Real podcast, we are not leaving you out. So welcome to part one of the What's Real Summer Vacation Special, a.k.a. Me and the Jays Top 10 Favorite Summer Slam Matches of All Time. So, first up, as you know, I'm your host, Ed Demko here, along with my tag team championship partner podcasting, the Jay himself. What's going on, the Jay? Nice and pumped up for the Summer Vacation Special. Hey, Eel, doing things a little different here in the What's Real world for our peeps, but always throwing out that content. And here at part one of the Summer Vacation Special, I'm as pumped as ever, even though I'm inside here in the uh, What's Real studios, um, you know, at the J Compound, I still have uh, baby oil all over me. Hey, Dude, for this special. And that's super appropriate because little do these people realize you're doing a Rick Rude right now. As you record yep. this, you're at your house in the What's Real studio, but you're also somewhere off in the sandy beaches of Florida, looking for Florida Man, should I say. So good luck in your quest there, and be safe, because Florida Man's a motherfucker. Okay, just so you and know. I have a I have a hand-drawn picture of Ed's girlfriend, Shauna, on my buttocks as well. Okay, so we're ready to go, Okay. And so let's just, should we just jump right into it, the Jay? So we decided that, you know, we could have did a different array of things here. Uh, King of the Ring, we batted around because that was a show that obviously happened exactly this time of year. Uh, but we're going for SummerSlam. It's still a continuing pay-per-view. There's a much bigger body of work than King of the Ring, which hasn't been a pay-per-view in a really long time. Um, so we decided to go with SummerSlam. So we're going to tell you both our top 10 favorite SummerSlam matches of all time. It's the WrestleMania of the summer, uh, if you will. And uh, if you're not a wrestling fan, you're probably not listening. So if you are a wrestling fan, you know the deal with SummerSlam. So let's just get into it, the Jay, starting off at number 10. What's your 10th favorite match in SummerSlam history, the Jay? So as I always disclaim or hate you, my list is more or less a countdown than a ranking system. Yeah. You know, because okay. it gets so uh, opinionated and, you know, I get when people do that. It's like, but, you know, the J, like I, I just have too expansive of of opinions and in, in the way my mind works to say this is my favorite SummerSlam match of all time. But 
just wanted to say that's kind of how I put this list together. I'm starting this off with number 10, Hey Yo, with one of my favorite SummerSlams. There was that period there where it was SummerSlam of 02 and 03 back-to-back okay. that stood out. Like they, they brought the heat with those two SummerSlams literally. in back-to-back years. Like, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, literally. And, and just as far as the overall cards that we talk about really liking, you know, where every match slot brings something different to the table and was really good. And it just puts together like an overall good show. It's like the comparison of those great albums that we talk about where you can listen to the whole album Front from to back. the first song to the, the last song. Yep. Exactly. So all that said and done, hey, yeah, let's start the list. And I'm throwing at you from SummerSlam 2002. It's actually the pay-per-view's opener. Pittsburgh's own Kurt Angle versus Rey Mysterio for the first time. Dude, I really like that match. And here's the funny thing. So I went through my entire list. Like I had a big ass list of matches to pick from. And I was kind of surprised when I finished it off, it didn't make my list. Um, but it's definitely like honorable mention for sure, because I do like that match. It's a really uh, interesting uh, matchup. And dude, I thought this was kind of cool too. So uh, as you, you guys may, may listen and know, uh, we're from Pittsburgh. Uh, and one of the bigger shows that happens throughout the year is a show called Steel City Con. It's a convention like comic books, toys, celebrities, whatever. But uh, Kurt Angle is apparently going to be the guest at the next one, which I'm not exactly sure when that was. Um, but, you know, that might be one that I have to go to because I wouldn't mind meeting Angle and I probably have some really cool shit for him to sign. So that's a maybe so far. We'll see. Yeah, that's awesome. As you know, uh, with Churchill Pictures, I, we could kind of reveal it now here on the podcast. So those sticking with us listening to the special, as Ed said, I'm sure anybody listening to the, uh, part one of the special here with it being a pro wrestling based with the SummerSlam talk uh, are all in the know. Uh, but the Churchill Pictures, one of our future film projects, uh, Kurt Angle agreed to be a part of. So I've been in talks with him and he's a really cool guy and I haven't met him in person yet, but I am counting down the day, and there is a chance, too, just uh, to join you. Hey, uh, if everything works out, that I'd be down to, to go with you to that. It'd be really cool to meet Angle, and, uh, you know, I'd be thrilled to meet him, and he, he's definitely going to show up on my list uh, here for sure, the Jays. But um, I was really surprised that that match didn't make mine. Uh, so instead, for me, at number 10, this is a match from 2013 uh, that not only was a great match, but it also had a really cool storyline and everything surrounding it. And I'm going with Daniel Bryan versus John Cena. Uh, really good match, really good feud. Uh, that's when they were doing the thing at the time where, uh, like, Triple H and them were trying to screw Daniel Bryan, but Cena was like, no, I'm actually going to give you a shot because you deserve it. So, like, Cena, like, superseded the authority and kind of had the match made. And, of course, Daniel Bryan would go on to win that match and win the title. And he would go on to lose immediately. I believe that year was to Randy Orton, who cashed in money in the bank. It was to somebody that cashed in on him. Um, but yeah, he would end up losing that, But it, which was ridiculous because they just had this really, really good matchup. Yeah, John Cena was always had the reputation to really step it up at SummerSlam. He's actually had a lot. I agree. You know, I went through a lot of Cena stuff uh, to put uh, various ones um, on this list because he's had so many classics at SummerSlam. And this was definitely one I pondered. It's a great match. It's the one where Triple H was the guest referee. Uh, and yeah. you know, like you said, after yep. the match, uh, Orton came down and Trips like helped him out and stuff. So he had that storyline. But uh, this was like at the height of Daniel Bryan, you know, his rise and, and kind of 
breaking into the main event picture in WWE and stuff. So uh, this was definitely a, a classic and you know, the in-ring action between Cena and Ryan at this time too was, was incredible. And dude, it's, you know, how's this for surprising? And I even, again, another surprise for my list. That's the last time that John Cena shows up on this list. Oh, wow. So that's kind of surprising, but it'll make sense in the long run. So, gotcha. Uh, but yeah, that's number 10. So what do you got coming in at number nine, the J? Well, I'll throw this in here because it will work out perfectly, actually, because of your choice with uh, starting your list with Daniel Bryan and John Cena from SummerSlam 13, because this stuck out to me where SummerSlam 13 had pretty much one of the best double main events ever. And that is my number nine from SummerSlam 13 is the other half of that uh, from Ed's pick. And that was the Brock Lesnar versus CM Punk match from that year. Do you remember that match? Yeah, it's actually an honorable mention on here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a really good match. Um, it's, it's a pretty, it's one of those matches too, where like at the time, if you remember, they were like feeding people to Lesnar and we were kind of worried about it going into this time period. Like, what are they going to do with Punk? But, like, no, that that's the most anyone was really getting in on that era, uh, Brock Lesnar. Because I want to say shortly uh, before that, uh, that's when he, like, beat the shit out of Cena. Yep. So, there you go. That's a, you know, it's a, it's a crazy time period. Even to look back to just think how they had Lesnar running through a lot of people when he would wrestle. Um, but not Punk, and that's a really good match, yeah, it, so I definitely, uh, I'd, this, I'd see why it would get on your list. The storyline had Heyman turning on Punk, you know, as, it, you know, going back with Lesnar yeah. at the time, and, and this is another yep. aspect of this, you know, with us, again, back-to-back here, placing these uh, uh, big matches from SummerSlam 13, that the, this is around eight years ago. It's that's just so weird. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. It really is. It, well, and it shows you, too, how the eras flip, like, in a moment. Right. You know what I yep. mean? Especially with, like, you know, somebody like a, a Braun Strowman recently being, like, a main eventer, and he's gone now. Like, so that's even going to make some of this stuff, like, age quicker than it, it, it probably would have or should have otherwise. Yeah, without big so, changes. Yep. Yeah. Like, and that's, and we've seen that through the years. You know what I mean? Like, with, uh, like, whenever they lost Stone Cold and The Rock pretty much in a short period of time, and then Brock left, and then Goldberg would leave. And, like, you know, like, just it's uh, losing main people or a lot of them in a short period of time always completely changed the landscape of the company. So it's pretty wild, man, how that works. Uh, for me, at number nine, uh, this one. This is really weird, too, because I, I can't say this throughout the history of SummerSlam very often, but this was a SummerSlam that I completely missed when it happened. I was doing something in my life where I was just wrestling was not a concern of mine as much at that point. Uh, it's probably the only time I remember really not being into wrestling really at all uh, for like a year or so, or at least a year, I want to say. Um, but I went back since and watched this match, and it's an amazing match. And I'm going to go back to SummerSlam 2008 uh, for Undertaker and Edge, Hell in a Cell. Unbelievable match. Yep. That's a classic. We we talked about that on a on a prior list. I think uh, that was one of we, we did a rundown of Dave Meltzer's top Undertaker pay per view matches, 
in that one, oh, that yeah. one was on there and we, we discussed like, yeah, we, we both got to relive that because it has been a while since I've seen that. But that's a that's a great call. That match is epic. And it's been a while since I've seen it, even putting this list together. And it kind of reminded me like, you know, I need to I need to go and grab that for sure. And, uh, you know, take a look. So uh, number eight, the J. What do you got coming in here, brother? So we're going to go um, a little bit old school here. Hey, you know, at the rise of two of the WWF at the times, top mid card guys breaking into the main event picture. And that okay. is going back to MSG Madison Square Garden at SummerSlam 1998 with the WWF Intercontinental ladder match between Triple H and Rock. Dude, at number eight, that's where you have yeah. that? Yeah, great minds think alike, brother. We always uh, love this one. If you if you remember, I would say like I know he was around for years, but like that was the first match I remember Triple H having where it was like, okay, now this dude's finally living up to his reputation in the business in the ring. Uh for really like kind of the first time. Like, I mean, I'm not saying he had bad matches, but he was around for probably two, three years before that. Uh, he's seen his character go through a lot of changes. Um, but that was when he was definitely on a stride. Like he was starting to really improve in leaps and bounds in short periods of time. And same thing for the rock, man, like say what you will about his career, but like maybe the most important year of his career was 1998. You know what I mean? Like, that's when really he started hitting the pinnacle as a main eventer. He would win the title. Um, he was just like a major factor in that. But how funny is that, that this is 98, we're talking August, and they're both battling him out for the Intercontinental. Yeah. And, and the thing with this match, too, with the particular matchup, and I remember us as teenage fans even talking about this, where, you know, the first famous ladder match with Shawn Michaels and Razor. And then of course the rematch, you, you have Michaels involved in his athleticism and stuff. And Razor's a huge guy, but again, with Michaels in there, this one with triple H and the rock, I remember us saying like, dude, it's two huge guys that are like heavyweights in a ladder match. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. Uh, And, and they, they proved that they could pull it off with, with their certain specific type of athleticism. And and this was a really good ladder match. And, dude, that was also an era where, like, the fans at Madison Square Garden were not fucking around. Like, if they, because that's, you have to remember, too, that's the same building that Michaels and Razor main evented uh, at WrestleMania. Or not main evented, I'm sorry. Uh, The ladder match from WrestleMania 10 was there. Um, And it was such a big deal that, like, you can't go into Madison Square Garden and have, like, a mediocre ladder match. Like, it's not going to work. The fans are going to shit all over it. Um, and this is one that I always remember too. It was during a really high period and hot period in wrestling in 98. Um, the fan, this place was like buzzing for this match. Uh, that was a great era, especially for, uh, going to MSG for them. So, yeah. So funny how that works. The J great minds think alike on that. If you remember too, that's like just another little tidbit. Uh, this is one of the ones in, in Michael's later in the show, I, I, I think, but definitely Hunter here gets played live and in person by the band that did the DX music, that goofy redheaded dude. Oh and, yeah. I forgot tri- about Triple that. H puts him on his shoulders and he's still singing and it's kind of gets awkward, but it, it always stood out to me. And you know, it says little weird things that you remember, you know? 
Yeah, because I, I, the first thing whenever you said that is like, wow, I don't remember that because like there's not really anywhere for them to play. Like I've seen them play at other places. Like there's a uh, what is it? Uh, WrestleMania fourteen. Yeah, fourteen in Philly. They played Michaels down. That's yeah, what I was thinking of. And there's and there's the room for them to do that. In MSG, there's really no extra space in that building at all. In the fans, like that's not how that building. Yeah, that's is. why they were in the ring. So yeah, that's they, they, they always feel like they don't have enough room at MSG. It's so weird, but that's I guess that shows you why. So all right, the J. So we're we're floating right along here, brother. Uh, what do you got at number seven? Loving it. Hey, you love the trip down professional wrestling nostalgia lane for sure and speaking of which i am going even a little more old school dialing the hands of time back a bit more hey up from SummerSlam 98 and i'm heading to uh, one of ours is childhood's classics SummerSlam 91 bret hart versus mr perfect uh, okay i actually have this match on my list uh a little bit later on um but yeah, I mean, it's it has to go on there, right? It's definitely uh, it, it might be the most. Uh, would you consider that to be Bret Hart's most important match of his career, or do you think they're? I mean, minus the screw job, if that's the one that you consider to be one. I would say this. Um, I would say this one because it is definitely what propelled him to, you know, probably even Vince to to like the acknowledgement that Bret would be a great world champion. Because as we, as we always say in the no in the WWE, the Intercontinental Championship is kind of the test run for a possible World Championship push, and that's where Bret and Perfect were at the time. And you didn't get matches yeah. like like this, you know. Typically, you know, you always go back to uh, Randy Savage and Steamboat at WrestleMania three, and, and and those kind of technical masterpieces. So in SummerSlam '91 here for the IC, Bret and Perfect, they put on one of those type of shows. That's just. It, you know, it always stood out to me as a as a kid, just seeing that for the first time, just being in awe. You know, I I always go back to like it's what like re- really made me obsessed in professional wrestling to eventually try to pursue it because the athleticism aspect of it was so entrancing yeah. to me as as also an athlete. You know, especially at the time playing a a bunch of active sports. Dude, then you know, you know, this might be it's this time period I want to say because I know that Brett. And, and Perfect had a lot to do with this for me. But they were two of the first guys, and I, I, I didn't realize it till this time, but I was always like this. They were, like that time period with them wrestling and stuff, that's when I started to first realize that that's the kind of wrestler that was like my favorite. Like the athletic guy, exactly. the guys that can have really good athletic matches, you know? Because like even at the time, like when that, it was probably this match or, or this feud or something that got me thinking about it at the time as a kid where I was like, yeah, like I like these guys and I like Macho Man and I like Ricky Steamboat and I like Ric Flair and I like Sting and I like, you know, like at the time guys that were active and it's like, yeah, I guess all my favorites are kind of like that. Like none of my favorites are like Andre the Giant or, you know, like the big, you know, Yokozuna or something like it was always the athletic dudes. So, yeah, they probably had more to do with that than almost anybody, at least for making me realize that as, as a kid, that that's kind of what I liked out of my pro wrestling. Yeah, and it was, it was I think, an age thing, too. Like, when you're a younger kid watching professional wrestling at that time, the over-the-top characters like Warrior Hogan are like real-life superheroes, and it just fits into that 
kind of child psyche that those are your favorite guys. And then when you get a little bit older and again, kind of picking up on how they're putting together matches and the art form and that athleticism of it, then the guys that we're talking about now, like the Bret Hart's perfects and Shawn Michaels kind of be, you know, you realize that that's the kind of wrestling that you like the most, you know, you even throw in, um, you know, all the WCW guys uh, uh, that are th- that kind of size, like Eddie and, and even Benoit. Or even like a Pillman, Pillman. if you want to go exactly. early 90s. Yep. So, you know, so, yeah, I'm, I'm those were guys that were, they were kind of breaking that mold at the time. Instead of like big giant Haas wrestling and stuff, you had a lot of the more athletic, quick guys. But you realized that there was a difference in the match quality that you were watching. So, and it was just more exciting. You know what I mean? You could even see the crowds kind of, you know, they might not care about the two guys when a match gets started, but they start getting on a roll and the crowd gets into it. And that's, to me, one of my favorite things about pro wrestling, because when you're at a show, when that happens, it's obviously better. But even when you're watching it on TV and you start to, re- it's like, oh, dude, these two are, they got something going on here. Like, it's just a neat thing about pro wrestling. And as a fan, it's one of my favorite things. Right with you. So moving along here to number seven for me, I'm going to stay in 1998, actually. And I'm going to go with another match from that SummerSlam. And it's one that people, I think, tend to forget about. But I'm going to go, and it's the opener, and it is Triple H versus Mankind in a steel cage. Uh, really good That's match. That's call. I remember they, they kind of built it up uh, where uh, Mankind was saying that, like, you know, he was kind of talking as Mick Foley, but he was still Mankind. But he was talking about how he was at Madison Square Garden when he saw Jimmy Snuka jump off the cage. And, of course, in the match, he does the elbow drop from the top of the cage. And, you know, that's it, it. It was a really good feud, too, at the time. They'd been feuding over the course of the summer. And, you know, they even did the shit where uh, Foley got China hit him with the door. Yeah. The cage <laughs> and door. Of course, Foley just and takes it, the old school blue steel cage yep. that even like Hogan would say, like, that's why they end up changing it because it was like unforgiving to high hell. And, of course, Foley's dude, ass just takes that from China, who's on Mexican supplements at the time takes it right in the face <laughs> yeah. and not only does he finish the match, but he wins the match. So, uh, and dude, that's, you know, that's what almost a year before King of the Ring 98. So like, you know, Foley was doing a lot of wild shit even then. Of course. You know what I mean? always. Like he was on the map for that kind of stuff. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, man, I always really liked that match. I thought it was like, it's weird because him and triple H have feuded several times in their careers and that was the end match to that feud, I believe. That was like the blow off to it. Um, and how funny is it that they would be feuding three years later at like Royal Rumble 2000, where, it would, you know, Foley would basically end his career other than like the stalled comebacks um, with a Hell in a Cell with trips. Yeah, they had that chemistry. Yeah, they were good together, man, for sure. Um so I guess I could start off number six here, the J. I had Brett and Perfect from SummerSlam 91. Uh, as you said, really great match. You know, there's not much that you can really add to it uh, that we said. But I did think about this um, in bringing this match up because we didn't talk about it previously. Um, and obviously these two don't have a ton of matches together. But the two most famous ones are probably this one. And of course, the one from King of the Ring 1993. Another really good match. Uh, my question to you is the J which one's better. That's a very tough, tough one. Um, the King of the ring 93 is another one of those 
overall cards that we t- talked about on the outset. Yeah, that's one of my favorite pages. It, it's so time. good because Brett runs the gamut against a varying really good opponents for him, and it just yep. works out so well. And so that kind of history within it would maybe have me go with that one. But then the original in 91 is the original. So I kind of have to have that be my deciding factor is that the 91 one is the first one. So I would lean towards that one. See, I think the King of the Ring one is better. Um, I remember years and years and years ago, as you know, I was an avid wrestling tape trader for years. Um, But there was a time period and I forget what this was. It might even have been during the time because like, you know, Remember how I used to just put together comps for you guys? Like, I made you the Michaels one. Uh, I made a couple other ones for a couple other buddies of mine. Um, But I would try and keep in mind, like, what you guys liked and what I knew you liked or whatever. But I remember, and I don't remember who this was. I made somebody a tape, and I just called it the best tape ever. (laughs) And I believe I put this and the King of the Ring matches back to back. Because I'm like, oh, that's, you know, that's cool. Just watch them back to back. They're both really good matches. So that was like one time I remember being like, all right, I'm going to sit down and watch these critically and see which one I think is the best. And I think the King of the Ring 93 one is better. Uh, And I'll tell you why. Because this one was a build-out feud. Like, you know, Perfect was on his run as the Intercontinental Champion, and Brett, you know, would go on to beat him. Um, But the one in King of the Ring was different because Brett was making his search through the tournament. They were both baby faces. So they kind of had to work like as dicks to each other um but perfect turns more heel he does it in the match but then he also does like the handshake thing at the end of the match to kind of like fuck off his heat and give it to brett um and i thought that was really cool um but he is like okay so at that king of the ring brett fights razor in the first round perfect and then he fights bam bam in the final. That, to me, is an amazing array because he has to beat the big dude, like the big jacked-up bruiser guy. Then he has to beat the wrestler. Then he has to beat Bam Bam, a 300-plus pound anomaly. Um, Because there was nobody really quite like Bam Bam ever, even to this day. Um, And perfect being in the middle of that is... It's perfect, you know, pun intended. Yeah. it just worked out. It was already a rivalry previously. They cut that awesome fucking promo together before their match where it's like, you know, my dad, your dad never beat my dad. Like, it's really funny and really good. And then they go out and have that match. It's amazing. So that's why I wanted to kind of throw that on my list at number six. Uh, but what do you got at number six? Yeah, I'll, I'll actually have to do that. Watch those back to back coming up. I'm making a note of it. it it's been a while. It's worth it. Yeah. It's pretty fun to do. Like, you'll, you'll see what, because they kind of play back a lot of stuff from that match. Like if you, if you're a big fan of the SummerSlam match, the King of the ring match, they add a little bit to that story. So it's pretty neat how they do yeah, it. I do remember that. Um, so yeah, the J with number six here on our list. Hey, you um, as you said, man, talk about chemistry, you and I's chemistry, man, because, uh, you were just talking about the pick before this one with the blue cage and mankind mm. and, uh, trips. Well, the J's number six, is the blue cage again from SummerSlam 94 for the WWF title, Bret Hart versus Owen Hart in the cage. That's a really good choice, man. 
I mean, I can't really argue with that. It's definitely one of the best SummerSlam matches, I think, of all time. Uh, it does show up on my list here for sure. Um, I just, and, and you know what's crazy, dude? There's a lot of people that don't even like that match. Do you remember the, the runtime? Is it like 32 minutes? 32 minutes, which I think is Damn, just perfect I, for those two in a cage for 32 minutes. I mean, come on. And, dude, the only reason I know that is because of tape trading. That was like a prominent because I definitely yeah that's a great that, call because I yeah I have that in front of me with a reference <laughs> I just pulled that out of your ass so that's impressive. It's weird how stuff like that sticks to you, dude. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a really good choice, man. I can't really argue with it. It's you know that that feud is it's definitely one of my favorite feuds of all time, and I think it's aged amazingly. Where a lot of really good feuds back then didn't. I mean, when you go back, they kind of surprise you with the stuff that they pull out in all those matches. It's because him and Brett just have chemistry that you just can't have with a lot of people. And, and it just goes into such good storytelling because they're real life brothers and everybody knows it. And and that kind of was like the whole crescendo of the match because they're climbing the cage and they get to the outside and Owen's leg gets hooked into it. And like Brett rams him into the cage and Owen goes upside down hanging by his leg. And then Brett just drops down to retain the belt. It was it, like, unreal. see, I love that's what I miss about Owen because I don't know if you remember this or not, but dude, Owen used to like do these over the top things like when he was losing something. Like he could have lost that match in a bunch of different ways, but instead he ends up losing it with his foot caught and he's hanging upside down <laughs> yeah. on the outside of the game. Like it's a pretty wild way of losing a match. And that's definitely a calling card that I think Owen had. Yeah, he's amazing. Without a doubt, man. So. Can't argue on that one, the Jay. So we are going to go, for me, uh, for number five. Okay. Yeah, hit us with your five, the Jay. All right. We're at the halfway point, hey, uh, Perfect running time here on the pod. And uh, this is a, a blast, dude. So number five. Uh, for this one, I'm going with a match that always stood out to me. Um, this is the second time I'm going to have this dude on the list, and I have to get the other dude on the list for sure. And this is the WWF title match from SummerSlam 2001, Kurt Angle versus Steve Austin. Okay. Okay. Um, I like this match. I don't think it's their best match. Um, I Dude, there's something weird about uh, Austin when it comes to SummerSlam. That's a good point. Because, like, the... the Cause, dude, that guy. The, uh, <laughs> this will never get out of my mind, and not to change the subject, but remember that goddamn Undertaker and Austin match from SummerSlam '98 with the Highway to Hell music. Of course, I always remember well, the leg it, drop through the announce table from sh- Taker because that bump was amazing. Yeah, but he he does that say was, in that match, but the match sucks. He has a it's concussion, though, so that's what throws it off. He has a legit. He's like legit out Taker. Of course, that would happen. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, you know, that's the only reason why I didn't put that there. For some reason, Austin, well, and <laughs> I don't think I need to bring up what happens at SummerSlam 97 with Stone Cold, do I? <laughs> yeah, not at all. <laughs> so, yeah, it's weird. Like, that one didn't make my list. So this is where the first time we're having, like, an actual discrepancy here. Well, another aspect to it that I know you weren't big into at the time, I was I was into it a little more because everybody always shits on the invasion angle and thinks that the WWF flubbed it. 
I don't think they hit yeah. a home run by any means, but I think I like that a bit more than a lot of people. And this was the middle of Austin's run as the top heel after he he did turn on the WWF during the Invasion storyline. Yeah. So he's doing. Is this when he's doing a lot of the comedy shit with with Angle? No, it was it was like before that. It, it was like when he was mm. he was like full on heel Austin. From from what I remember, I, I believe this is where he had the infamous disturbed band remix of his music. Oh yeah, I hated that. Yeah, so that that's was, that's what yeah. I'm thinking. Because because oh. other than that, the match is unbelievable. Okay, it's been a while since I've watched it, so that could be a miscalculation. But dude, with the five matches I have left, I find it very difficult to remove any of these. So, all right, man, number five for me. This is from 2003. And these two, uh, you want to talk about chemistry. These two maybe have the bit best chemistry in wrestling history if you really want to get into it. Uh, but I'm going with uh, Brock Lesnar versus Kurt Angle. Uh, I don't see a bad match between these guys. Like, I, I can't recall any. No. They had Remember, they had the Iron Man on SmackDown. And, you know, they had several. They had their WrestleMania match, of course, from WrestleMania 19. Um, but yeah, this is just another really good match, man. And you start to realize, dude, it's crazy. Like I know Brock is still good. Like he can have good matches and shit, but baby Brock before he wore like the MMA tights and had the fucking sword tattoo, that dude was just like, if he could have stayed that dude forever, he might be the greatest professional wrestler that's ever lived. Yeah. I mean, he is in that state, truly Vince McMahon's wet dream. I mean, that's like Vince McMahon's prototype pro wrestler come to life because he yep. he was like the first one you know we just mentioned it it can go right in with that when i was referencing being a kid and looking at guys like hulk hogan and ultimate warrior that are these larger than life cartoon characters brock was like a gritty real version he was like the real wrestler especially later on in his career when he went and won the ufc championship and came back to pro wrestling like he is the prototype wwe wrestler just from looks but then also the real life aspect. And that's, I think there's just been nobody and probably nobody else ever that's going to be like Brock, especially as you're mentioning, Brock in his absolute prime. Well, dude, I mean, think about this. Brock came in as like this green ass rookie dude that looked like a million bucks. And I remember at first we were all kind of like, I don't know. And then he won us over pretty quickly. I want to say by that, uh, and, and, dude, this is pretty wild because I'll just bring this up because it didn't make my list. Maybe it's on yours. Angle, or I'm sorry, uh, Rock versus Brock at SummerSlam, which is a really good I match. I always like that. Yeah, uh, but it's not on mine. It's Okay, so so it didn't make my list. So I feel like once Brock hit that, like up to that time period, that's when we were like, oh, shit, this dude is money. And he was good and he could go. And from that point until he was pretty much gone the first time, that run is just fucking phenomenal, man. He was something else, like a completely different thing. And, dude, up to that point, we were watching wrestling for a really long time, and he was like an anomaly even to us. I thought this dude was going to suck, but he's like fucking Angle. Like, not as good as Angle, but like he can go like Angle, and he looks like a billion dollars. I always bring up, I saw... Live and in person, when I was attending Penn State in college, they came to the Bryce Jordan Center 
with for a yep. for a raw. And when they were first introducing Brock into the WWF, he was doing a lot of uh, just run-ins and just like t- you know fucking people up. And yep. at the Bryce Jordan Center at State College this one time when they were building him up, he, it was after a Rikishi match. Rikishi went over. He was doing his dance. And Brock came down and F5'd him. I saw him F5 Rikishi in person, and I'll just never forget that. It was just – it was insane. Like the, the, the smoothness, crispness that he did that. You know, for those that aren't familiar, Rikishi's a huge man, probably weighs – close to 400 pounds i would say at that time possibly yeah definitely and and brock just gave him his f5 finisher which he scoops you up on his shoulders and basically throws your ass and i saw that live and was just like okay this dude is gonna be a a barn burner dude you might agree with me on this let me see so you know growing up watching wrestling especially in the 80s and shit we saw a lot of strongman wrestlers, like some of the biggest dudes of all time, even Andre, guys like that, right? So, like, you always had these dudes, and by the time that, uh, let's say, like, 98-ish, okay, you were more than used to these kind of guys. Like, you've seen them come and go for years, and there were a lot of different ones and a lot of varying ones, but, like, you'd see them try and do these impressive feats of strength, and they can all do crazy shit, but you've seen each and every one of them kind of like meet their fill and by that i'm talking about like you've seen hogan do all kinds of crazy shit but like when he slams andre doesn't really slam andre uh lex luger huge dude seen him do a bunch of feats of strength but when he slammed yoko barely slammed yoko like these dudes had their limits right but then come 98 and you see bill goldberg he was maybe the first dude that was like, I've not seen this dude struggle to pick anyone <laughs> yeah, up under any circumstance. That's a great break. And then Brock came and it was like, I have not seen this dude struggle one bit to pick up anybody in any circumstance. They were like the first two dudes built from that mold of like the big giant strong man. And I'm like, I never seen them actually get pushed to their limit. Maybe Goldberg when he was older. And maybe Lesnar when he was like, you know, older through the diverticulitis stuff and everything. But like those first run Goldbergs and Brocks, uh, there's never been a dude. Dude, they would have been picking Andre up like that if he could get, you know, like do the working style thing. There wasn't a guy in the business that they wouldn't be able to get up. Yeah, that's a great breakdown. I, and maybe like a honorable mention to, to Cena, give Cena his credit with his F. Absolutely. Yeah, Cena's impressive. Bring, b- picking up Big Show, picking up uh, two Dude, two dudes at once. It's pretty crazy. Cena's Cena's biggest issue in that regard was never his strength. It was just his his size. Yeah, like if he was six foot nine, yeah, he'd pick up anybody. He'd be just like the dudes we're talking about. Right. So, but you're right, absolutely one hundred and ten percent. So. All right, uh, where are we at? The J number four. Number four had to. Um, I, yeah, well, ahead. I was going to say, let, let, let me just get mine out of the way because it's already been mentioned. I went with Owen versus Brett, uh, SummerSlam 94, Cage. Fucking love that match. Love that feud. We kind of hit on it already. So I will uh, pass it over to you for number four of the J. More more Brett on my list, Head. I just had to get this on somewhere. Uh, we talked about it last week on the What's Real podcast when we were breaking down the A&E biography on Brett. And that, of course, is the main event for the Intercontinental Championship of SummerSlam 92, Wembley Stadium in London, Bret the Hitman Hart defending the IC title against his brother-in-law, the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith. 
Well, first off, let me just say this to Jay. I'm surprised that this match is already on your list. I thought it would have been a little bit higher. Yeah, like I said, it's um, tough to put them in specific ranking order. It's kind of now the top five is kind of just like these are all just top matches for me. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can't really argue with that match. Uh, I think without a doubt, it's probably uh, here's okay. Let, let me hit you with this then. Actually, no, I'll wait. I'll hold off. Uh, but yeah, I mean, dude, and a lot of that is due to Brett. Uh, because you've heard the story as well as I have too, where Davy Boy was pretty much gassed out in this match um, within maybe like the first five minutes. Yeah, you say, yeah, the story that's, what, goes. that's what Brett said. And uh, the time, the running time on this one's a good one. Um, I, dude, I just remember this sticking out so much, not just because it's a good match, but dude, it, okay, so this is the main event in August of 1992. You have to remember now, this company may have had its greatest roster it ever had at this time. Especially if you always go by the the you know the measuring stick of the Royal Rumble. Yeah, we always say look at look at the up. roster of the thirty men in ninety two Rumble and you'll see what their roster was in a nutshell. And ninety two is a pretty unique year because the company was kind of in flux because you would through the course of the year you would have uh Ric Flair comes into ninety two barrel and ass the man they decide to kind of move on from that a little bit, not totally, but a little bit. Uh, so through the main event scene or the the world title pic- title picture scene in '92, you have everybody from Hogan and Flair to Macho Man to uh, Bulldog, Jake the Snake, Razor, yeah, uh, Razor Ramon, Undertaker, um, Sid. Uh, Warrior would make his return. Uh, people like Papa Shango were floating around there. Um, so in, in SummerSlam of 92, even though it was an Intercontinental title match, uh, it main evented. And the Bret Hart versus Bulldog main event in that type of athletic contest, like we were talking about a little earlier, uh, that was one of the first times we saw that main eventing a WWF pay-per-view. And it might be the only time that that main evented a WWF pay-per-view in kind of like that big guy pre-steroid trial-ish era that they had. Yeah, and throw in the atmosphere as well because they hadn't been doing as many stadium shows and things like yep. that stemming from like WrestleMania, you know, six. Uh, after that, they kind of went back to arenas. So, dude, you know, you know, always talk about like the wrestling pinnacle in the eighties. Like wrestling was huge in the eighties. So if you want to say like from 85 to 87, 88-ish, we'll go into 88. We'll give them that. That's the top of the mountain for that peak. Uh, And like the top of the peak, I would say, is like 89, 90. And then 91 is the slope. And 92 is like the last rung on that golden era before they started hitting like the new generation type era, the the lean years for the company where they were wrestling at like high school gyms and shit on raw. Right. So that's a pretty pivotal year for the company. And it's, I don't think looking back on a lot of people would have thought that that's what we would have gotten in 92. Nah, but yeah, you know, with the roster, the whole nine, like, but it's a great match, man. SummerSlam, you can't really argue with it. And that's, you know, that probably 
I mean, that match probably gave them the confidence for us to get, you know, Davy Boy in many main events throughout the years after that. Obviously, Brett, you know, as being, well, being a guy that can main event a pay-per-view. So that was clearly his still on his path to being a world champion, which would happen, what, later that year? Yeah. So, yeah, it's a pretty wild transformation. But Brett was... He was always the backbone of that for them, so that's why I feel like you got to give got to give Brett, you know, some credit uh, where a lot of people may not. So, all right, moving right along here, the Jay, we're getting into the top three, and from I'm going to go to number three on this one, and it's a match that I saw in person. So we're going to 1995, and I'm going with the ladder match between HBK and Razor Ramon. Um, I do think this match is slightly better than the WrestleMania one, which a lot of people would disagree with. Um, they did the stupid idea of like they couldn't use the ladder as a weapon in this one, but they were able to work around it and do a lot of crazy shit. And it's, you know, it's still one of my favorite ladder matches of all time. I mean, Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels, their, their chemistry was just completely off the charts. It's almost a, a, a shame we didn't get a lot more HBK versus Razor matches that weren't ladder matches. Right. Yeah. Just think think of the, the pressure in trying to outdo yourselves in one of the most memorable matches of all time that you're adding this this gimmick that was kind of, you know, we always talk about the history of the ladder match, you know, Brett and Sean kind of doing it on some different shows. They're famously on that Coliseum video. Um, ladder match. Oh, yeah. You know, remember that one? Yep. Like kind that of, was like kind a of, trial run. Yeah, kind of trial run, getting the feel for it and things like that. So when the WrestleMania one happened and just became a legendary match and they announced the SummerSlam rematch ladder match, it's like, how how are we going to top this? And they, like you said, in your opinion, they did. For me, it's just so tough. I think they're just neck and neck. You know, I might do the same they're thing myself. They're both different matches. They they're really very are. different, even though they're both ladder matches. They're still very different. And just to throw out a little personal detail, one of my favorite pairs of trunks of Michael's, because he would always have the colorways of just the classic oh, yeah. HBK long pant trunks. And uh, at SummerSlam 95, he wore the turquoise blue Dude, and black. A funny story, um, but I do dabble in wrestling figures. And uh, I started getting back into them. They. Like, I collected them as a kid. I had the big LJN rubber ones and the little Hasbro ones. Uh, me and the J definitely were friends, probably, uh, when we were both still collecting those as kids. Um, and then it's gone on to now Mattel. And I'd seen the stuff for years, but I didn't really buy a lot of it, okay? Uh, but I specifically remember me and my girlfriend were going to buy like birthday presents for our, her nieces. So we had to go to Toys R Us at the time. So I was looking through stuff and I'm always like, oh, let me just look at the boys' toys and see what they got. And I saw the wrestling figures. And I was like, oh man, I haven't looked at wrestling figures in ages. And I see a Shawn Michaels figure with him in his SummerSlam 95 shit. Sick. And I was like, I got to get that. Like that's one of the first figures that I bought that kind of like started me off collecting wrestling figures. But it's just, I love that gear, too. I'm a big fan. And just, dude, it was always different anytime he wore anything that didn't have, like, a pink or a red to it, I thought. Yeah. Like, I even remember a couple times he wore, like, 
One of my other favorite ones that he wears is in the match against Jeff Jarrett, where he wears the white and gold. Yep. Love that. Like, I I like when he, like, went outside the box a little bit with that kind of stuff. I even like, too, because uh, he didn't, he only wore them when he really first started doing it. Remember his Heartbreak Kid trunks that were his first Heartbreak Kid DX trunks? Yeah, I showed you. I have the chalk line tank top and shorts that I'm, uh, well, I call it my pool loungewear. <laughs> now, not, not those. I'm talking about the ones that were like the first, sh- they were just like his heartbreak kid trunks that we were used to seeing, but they were black and green and had oh, the DX shit all in the yeah, heart. So he, he wore those same the, design. the DX pay-per-view against Shamrock. Yeah, it, 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 you're right. That was yeah. the first one. So I it's like he, yeah. he kept that same Shawn Michaels design, but changed all the Heartbreak Kid shit, the DX, and completely changed over to the red or the uh, the green and the yeah, black, black and, and white DX yep. colors. Like that was, I loved when he went outside of the box with that shit. I always like when people do that stuff anyway. It's like, I always got to kick out of Flair's pink robe or his green robe because it was just different from yeah. all his usual stuff so i totally agree there that's a good call yep so what do you got at number three the j so number three hey you know i had to throw this on here because i loved these matches and they became um you know just a thing of like a time capsule because people would die if they kept trying to overdo it and it's a, a classic so it's the very first ever official tlc match between Edge and Christian, the Hardy Boys, and the Dudleys at SummerSlam 2000. All I got to say is I can't wait to see the matches that you put above this one because I thought for sure this was going to be your number one. It was tough. Um, it's very tough. It's it's an unbelievable match, man. I mean, I could go on and on, and I probably will as we continue on here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, there's absolutely no argument for me putting this on a top favorite 10 list of SummerSlam matches ever. No way. Yeah. Cause we were just talking again. It correlates with breaking down the ladder match rematch between Michaels and razor and how they're going to outdo it. And this one, uh, being the first ever like official again, TLC, because they had like a ladder match tag team thing before, and it evolved into adding the tables and chairs and, you're starting a complete concept that is just going to build from this match. Yeah. I mean, dude, this was the first one that uh, you had no idea. Like, I mean, you knew kind of, I mean, I guess ECW gave us more than a recollection of what this type of match would entail. Um, But seeing it on a WWE scale was pretty amazing. That was the thing. That was exactly. really that really made it stand out, made it different because you're seeing that shit in a big ass arena. Period. Yeah, and then of course involved are three of the best tag teams, you know, especially in ring work wise uh, of all time: Edge, Christian, Hardy Boys, and Dudleys. And the chemistry that they had, you know, all all six men, you know, all three teams was just something. And dude, that- well, think about this. Okay, let me throw something at you. So we're talking pre-TLC matches, okay? Uh, our opinion of the Dudleys was probably the same. It was probably like they're here from ECW and we don't really like what they're doing with them. Would you agree with that? Pre-TLC now. Yeah. We're talking like when they kind of first went there. Uh, it just didn't really seem like the Dudleys fit in very well. And if, if you would ask this at the time, 
I would have probably been like, it's not going to last very long for them, and we'll probably see them back in ECW. Yeah, that'd be a good call. Now, the Hardys, uh, we liked them. Uh, we thought that they were super talented, but I'll be totally honest with you, pre-TLC matches, I'm like, they like these dudes, and these dudes are popular, but they're never really going to do anything with them because that they, they hate their style. I know this company hates what they do. Yeah. And Edge and Christian, uh, to me, at the time, I was like, oh, they're the best tag team out of all three of these. Like, they're going to be a tag team probably for a long time. Because um, they were the WWE-created tag team. So it was like, yeah, I could see them being a big deal. I mean, they had probably... I mean, other, uh, I mean, it's tough to say. Like, I was going to say about the chemistry between all the teams. Just with Edge and Christian growing up together, they were like brothers, you know? Then you got the Hardy yeah. boys that are like brothers and the Dudley boys that were Because they are brothers. For forever. Yeah. So, but, but again, yeah, it's just all three bring kind of a uniqueness that just meshed so well. And then you add in the fact that it's like a freaking live stunt show with the, the spots that they were doing and the bumps they were taking and the risks they were taking. And they pulled everything off. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just had to get that on here, you know, in the upper part of the list just because of the respect I have for, you know, the risks they took as well, even. Okay. So now number two, the J, uh, I'm going to have one that you already talked about. Uh, Brett vs. Bulldog from 1992 SummerSlam. I think we covered that pretty well, but I absolutely love that match. Uh, but I was going to say this. Now, here's a question. Let me pose this to you and see what you think. What is a better match, the J? Brett versus Bulldog from SummerSlam '92, or Brett versus Bulldog for the WWF title at In Your House? Uh, what the hell was that one? Yeah, that that one's unreal. Seasons beatings or something. Yeah, and, and that one's unreal due to the blood factor. Oh yeah, that's what kind of yep. stands that one out. You know, Brett bleeds like a pig in that. Yep. And, um, you know, that that always just that's why they they do blade jobs, you know, for big matches, you know, because it stands out. So that one, because of that, makes it different than the 92 one. But all the pomp and circumstance surrounding Davy Boy being in his home country, the United Kingdom, a sold out stadium show. I, I kind of give the the edge to that one, even though it's really tough to compare. And I wouldn't argue either way. Now, this is another one that I compared doing tapes back in the day. Same same thing as the uh, fucking Brett and Owen matches. Er, oh, yeah, Brett and Owen. Perfect. No, Brett and Perfect, you're right. Uh, the SummerSlam to King of the Ring. I did the back-to-back comparison with these two. Now, this one's going to be like a taste thing, I think, more than anything. Um, I like the In Your House one better. And it's just because, to me... It was a meaner match. Like, there was a baby face and a heel. Uh, That first one, it was kind of like they're tearing the family apart by feuding over this belt. Um, It wasn't like a nasty feud like that other one was. Uh, And I like the blood and all that stuff. And that's also the one, too, I don't know if you remember this or not, where Brett was doing um, the Irish whips into the corner of Davy Boy, where Davy Boy would just flip and bounce off the turnbuckle. And the In Your House one's the one where he bounces off the turnbuckle and literally lands directly on top of his head. On his, on his head, I remember that, yep. 
And it's amazing that he didn't get hurt or die, let alone fight another probably 20 minutes because that match is really long. And I, dude, just off the top of my head, I would have zero problem calling that the best match maybe ever in, in your house history. Yeah, it's a great one. And, and now I'm adding that to the list. Hey, Ed, because once again, I haven't watched those in a while and I want to compare them. So I'm going to do some comparisons here, uh, but yeah, I have I'm to relive that. Curious to see what you would think, like after the comparison, see which one you picked or which or the reasons why you would pick one over yeah, the other. I'll have to do um, But number two, the J, what do you got here? So number two, I mean, this is tough, two and one. So I just got real personal. Uh, I've said on some of our other list shows, sometimes you just got to go with your gut. And I kind of wanted to go with uh, a really good, almost like for me, dream match that was just a straight up barn burning wrestling match, you know, technically and with the things they do, the storytelling and everything. And okay. it's from about five years ago. I went with a match we thought we might not have ever seen before things kind of changed. And that was AJ versus John Cena at SummerSlam 16. That's a good match. Um, honestly, I probably haven't watched it since it happened. Um, so that's probably oh, wow. yeah, why I've watched it, it a few times. It, that match probably wasn't even on my mind when I did this list, to be honest with you. And that might even be my fault. Um, I do remember it being good, but I don't remember it super well. That's not who's the is there who's champion in that match? See, that, that's the thing. Styles won clean. Oh, that's the okay. So that's the one where he fight. He beats him, and then he beats him. It wasn't for a belt. Oh, okay. So he already beat him for the belt, correct? I think oh, no. at that or no, not yet. So this is this is what pretty much elevated Styles in the WWE to again be another one of the guys from like kind of mid card IC programs to the breaking the glass ceiling of the main event picture and the the world title. Okay, because that's when he was doing the whole, like, you know, nothing else to do except for, you know, like, got to go to the gym, got to get something to eat, got to beat John Cena. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's, you know, like, because he beats Because I think so it, was, uh, it was just a few, few months later after SummerSlam where, um, you know, Vince promoted AJ to the, the main event picture. Okay. Yeah, and that's worked out pretty well for him since, considering, you know, AJ is not in the main event picture right now, but he's still tag team champion on Raw. And he's yep. been tag team champion since Mania. So, you know, still doing something right. That's for sure. All right, the J, this is the coup de gras, El numero uno, as Arnold would say. Well, I'm uh, sorry, what, my was number, your, what was your two, Hayo? Two was Bretton Bulldog. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because we had already picked it. Okay. Kind of and number off. one is one that we already spoke about. This is the original TLC uh, from SummerSlam 2000. Um, now, this is, okay, I, and this is why I didn't talk about it when you brought it up already. This was a match that we didn't, like, going into it, we just figured it'd be, like, a decent match. We had no fucking yeah, that's, idea that's a great what call. this that's what makes it. Yeah, it was a total surprise to us. And the fact that they, they've had numerous matches like this between these three teams is pretty amazing. It's kind of a bummer that they were so brutal that we couldn't get, like, a final send-off one. Um, but I fully understand the reason why. No, never had a problem with them not doing it. But, like, they were even... They got in some trouble for this match. This was, like, the same thing we said about Mick Foley 
uh, with the King of the Rings uh, stunt. And, like, you know, Vince was like, that was an amazing match. Uh, you guys did a hell of a job. Uh, but, like, you're never doing that again. Uh, and then they did it three more times to the point where even Edge was kind of like, I remember during the third one, remember Edge was kind of like, this is it. Like, I'm not doing yeah. these anymore. We're done after this. Like, because everyone knew that, it, like, those three matches, is it three? Wasn't it three? It was three. And they they also did, it, it wasn't involving these three teams, but the, do you remember they did that impromptu TLC on a SmackDown? I do remember that. a bunch that. of different teams. Like, even Kane was in it. And, like, the guys there were like, dude, like, Vince just sits us down. Like, yeah, you're doing TLC tonight on TV. They're like, what? And I, if I remember correctly, maybe that's what I read at the time. Uh, Edge might have been hurt or something like that. He was out. He did an interview or something where he was like, you know, man. I, like I know, like he he was saying that like he feels partially responsible uh, because he knows how bad the match was for his career and physicality, and the same could be said for every one of those guys. That it was a something that they started, and b he's like, dude, they got these fucking guys doing them on SmackDown. Like that is just inherently wrong. Yeah. Uh, and, and they, that might be the only one they ever really did like that. They've had ladder matches and shit, but an actual TLC match, oh, unless they, was. unless they build it up as like, you know, they were doing it on raw instead of a pay-per-view on purpose for, you know, like, uh, the raw 200 episode thing with a TLC, but like other than that, like they never like really hot shotted a TLC match on the TV. Thankfully, no, they're so be. dangerous. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, like you mentioned, SummerSlam 2000, uh, as we're talking about, was the first one. Then they did WrestleMania 2000 that same year, uh, yep. uh, TLC, and then WrestleMania 17, which arguably might be the best of them. Oh, no, then the WrestleMania one would have been the first one then. Because Mania yeah, is before that's, SummerSlam. That's true. Yeah, I wasn't thinking that. So there you go. So this was but the only I don't know, one was that, that was wasn't the, at WrestleMania. Was, was WrestleMania 2000 dubbed as TLC, though? I think so. I'm looking that up. Because it had to be. It was a ladder match, the whole deal. Like, they had the ladders hanging, or the belts hanging and shit. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that they ever did a match between those three teams for that wasn't for the championship. No, see officially here hate you so i wanted to fact check the wrestlemania okay. 2000 match was dubbed a triangle ladder match it was the precursor yeah. to tlc so okay now here's the question <laughs> so is there three tlc matches and that match or do they just call that match tlc now i think that that's that's not considered tlc the first tlc was the one we picked summer so then there 2000. would be three TLC matches between these teams and then that WrestleMania ladder triangle match, ladder triangle, match. Triangle, triangle ladder match. Okay. That's weird. Now that makes me want to go and watch all four of them and <laughs> see what's what. Cause something here is not computing to me, but that I'm not saying that anybody's wrong. I'm saying that like my memory sucks. So yeah. I kind of want to go and watch them. That's yeah, Cause I was going to say, I think it was, I think it was only two TLC matches then with this triangle ladder oh, match. Cause it was okay. Two, WrestleMania so was 2000, triangle ladder huh. match. Then it was the first ever TLC, SummerSlam 2000, and then WrestleMania 17 was the, the final one. So they only did two official TLCs between the Hardys, Dudleys, and Edge and Christian. And I don't remember which one I think is the best. 
I have a funny feeling it's the WrestleMania 17 That's one, what I always remembered thinking was the best. But, but I might just be thinking because of how hot that crowd was. Like, I might need to go back and see. We go back and do a list like this, and now I got 17 hours of I know, wrestling. It's good. I, need I like it. Yeah, I'm down. And it's the. And it's the worst kind. It's the personal curiosity. Like, I don't have to watch it for the show or any reason other than myself. So I'm like, cool, now I have to somehow work this into my normal array of stuff. And with the um, uh, the, the nickname we gave the new network, I got to watch what I say because I was seriously about to say I got to jump on the cock. The cack. <laughs> I got to jump on some cock. But we are not done yet here, the J. We have still yet to get to your number one choice. What is your favorite match in SummerSlam history loosely? So you you know me, me all too well, hate yet, and like I mentioned, going with my gut and going with a match that it's another one that I never thought I'd see at certain points. I still remember to this day, I watched this at Hooters at State College where I watched okay. the hell of a lot of pay-per-views and, you know, because it was the easiest way for a college kid to, to see them. And that was SummerSlam, <laughs> <laughs> SummerSlam 2002. The return and comeback of Shawn Michaels as he battled Triple H in a street fight. Uh, for a yeah. personal moment, I just had to put that on as my number one. Because that I, is, you on, know, I'm, Shawn Michaels is like my favorite wrestler of all time. For those listening that might not know, that's on here. Like I do have a list of stuff too that uh, you know, like the honorable mention stuff, and that's on here. So uh, I understand why. I mean, dude, I remember we were very surprised when Shawn Michaels won. We just didn't think that was going to happen. Because uh, Trips was like the last guy you were beating in 2002. Let's just be honest. Right. <laughs> um, exactly. But yeah, the, it, it is a good match, though. It's really good. It's been a while, once again, since I've watched it. So uh, yeah, I should probably go back and rewatch that one sometime here, too. Yeah, great list. Hey, you know, now, do you want to throw out some honorable mentions just to wrap up our SummerSlam celebration? Yeah, I have a few more on here. I have uh, Edge versus Cena in 2006. Yep, that's a great I, one. Uh, Punk versus Hardy in a TLC match from 2009 for the match. world title. Yep, I had that. I have Brock versus Punk from 2013, which we mentioned. The yeah, HBK street fight you just mentioned. Rock versus Brock, which we already talked about. Uh, I have three more. I have Brett and Taker from SummerSlam 97. It's a pretty good match. Uh, HBK versus Vader, just because even though there's some goofiness in there, I still think there's some good shit there, too. And I had to throw this on here because I didn't really care for this at first, but through the years, I've come to really like it. The uh, Mankind Undertaker Boiler Room. Yeah, that kind of grew on us over the years. I remember talking about that, you know, and at the time, you know, we always said when we talk about other modern pay-per-views and the... the in, invention, if you will, of the cinematic match and not being big on it. Like these were kind of the precursors to that. That's and yeah. We just absolutely. wanted our wrestling as yep. wrestling nerds. So like those kind of matches we were like not into, but then, yeah, you get older, you kind of see different sides of it, different perspective. And you're like, Oh, it's not bad actually the way they Dude, did that. I feel like we used to just get pissed off anytime they weren't fucking in a ring. Like we want to watch wrestling. God damn it. Like, we yeah. were more old fuddy-duddy back then than we are now. Yeah. Uh, we're like, you know, I understand why, you know, this is the point in the feud where they needed to do something like that. And, of course, they did the Paul Bearer turn and the whole deal and all that. So it was a big deal. Uh, they'd never really done anything like that. I still remember how nuts it was to get the, uh, the shot during the match of them showing the arena. And they didn't, for some reason, have this on big screen. They had fucking televisions wheeled out like they were... You know, like when you watched a movie in school and yeah, the TV say. on the stand, I'm like, 
the fuck? They got like little TV stands. Like if you're in like the C section, it's like, what am I doing here? I might as well go home. But uh, but yeah, on TV it was good for sure. Yeah. But yeah, some of mine I had the WWE Undisputed Championship, CM Punk and Cena from 2011. Uh, that wasn't as good as their, you know, one of my favorite matches of all times, the Money in the Bank, just because of the circumstances around it in oh, Chicago. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's this, this is a good one. Uh, the rise of Seth Rollins back in 2015 when he was coming up. Seth Rollins versus Cena, SummerSlam. That 15. was good. That was one that I kind of like brought up and was like, ah. And, yep. and honestly, if I would have rewatched it before I did my list, it's very There's possible what I ended up on there. You know it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, we, we pretty much covered it, man. That was the end of my notes and, and list. So you know, even with the honorable mentions, so good All SummerSlam right. talk. Hate you. Absolutely, the J. So that's it, guys. We hope you enjoyed the What's Real Summer Vacation Special Part 1. And guess what? That means there's going to be a Part 2 next week. So don't forget to join us for that as well. But that's it for us, guys. I'm Hey Ed, Ed Demko. And this is the J. Jared Bajoris. And this has been the What's Real Podcast Summer Vacation Special. See you guys next time. Yeah, you're What's real? What's real?